I'm Kelly. Good to have you guys here today. And I get the privilege of getting to hang out in the book of Daniel with you guys today. So as we're getting started, at some point we're going to get to Daniel 3. So if you want to get your Bibles, set your technology to stun. We've been talking about this group for weeks now, right? These young people whose entire lives have been changed by the circumstances forced upon them. They've had to come together. They've had tests. And we have seen some foreshadowing that a test of faith was coming. Now we talk about metaphorical fires in our lives, but this was literal fire. Of course, I'm talking about the Pearson family on This Is Us. Yeah, so how many of you guys watch? Anyone? Anyone? Yes. How many of you are tired of hearing about everybody else watching it? Yes, yes, I thought there would be a few. Okay, close your ears if you don't want to hear. I am going to talk about the Super Bowl episode, so close your ears if you don't want to know. I figure if you care, you've probably already watched, right? So, you know, fire, right? That's what our topic is of the day. Of course, I had to bring it up. But how many of you guys like this Super Bowl episode? I mean, we've been building to this, right? They've been saying, how is Jack going to die? They keep showing us these flames. And then the moment of the episode, there's all this fire. He goes back in for the dog. And then everybody's freaking out. Look at these reactions. Look at Mandy Moore's face. It made me cry. And I was like, no, I can't believe this is happening right at the beginning of the episode. And then what does he do? He comes back outside. He did not die in the fire. They trolled us, and I'm mad, but I still watch. So today, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. There is fire, but I won't mess with your emotions, okay? Promise. All right, a reminder of where we are. We are in the book of Daniel, and Israel has been taken captive by Babylon and moved from their entire homeland. So it's not just that they're ruled by somebody else, but they're not even living where they were. They're in Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar is in charge right now, and the young people have been being trained, basically brainwashed, trying to show how amazing Babylon is. They're trying to change these young people's lives, hoping they will come up and live for Babylon and no longer for, um, for Israel. So, that's where we've started. We've met Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are our four young men. And today we're going to look at the three of them, not Daniel. And we're going to see how they stand up for God and their beliefs. So let's look at verse 1, and Sue's going to read for us today. And let's start, let's set the scene here. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. All right, a statue. We've got an image of gold, and I love that Chris just brought this up because that was my first point, thanks. So a lot of times, I don't know if you grew up in church, but I felt like I learned these little Bible stories, right? And they were very individualized stories, and that's what you do when you're a kid. But when you're older, you start to realize that this one piece in time is part of a greater narrative. And even in the book of Daniel, I never really put it together that chapter 2, talking about the king's dream, is related to chapter 3 where he builds the idol. So in the dream, as Chris was reminding us, there was all these different forms of metal. The, the head was gold, but there was silver, there was bronze, there was iron and clay. And this was supposed to represent that Babylon was going to fall. 
So what is the king's response to this dream? I'm going to build a statue. Make it all gold. It'll be fine. I feel like he's kind of like flipping the bird to the dream, to the gods, to the nations, whatever. You know, I'm going to be all gold. I'm going to be fine. It's never going to fall. Now, it's important to note that this isn't just a statue, as some of our translations would say, but it was an idol. It is meant for worship, and so that context is there. And as we're talking about fire going throughout uh, today, I I thought it was kind of funny because it takes fire to meld and to mold. And I wondered if it was a similar furnace that was used to build this statue that's going to be the centerpiece of this test of faith today. Let's look on to the next section, uh, verses 2, 4 through 6. Um, don't worry about 2. Just read 4 through 6, please. This is the king's command and what to do with the statue. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Okay, so I thought it was a little funny because there's all these lists of these musical instruments and they keep being repeated throughout this chapter. You'll have to read it through sometimes, four different times. Every time they talk about worship, they list the harp, the zither, the lyre, whatever else. I thought that was kind of funny, but there's some different interpretations on why there's this literary device here, but something's building. Something is showing that the king has got this maddening control, and that may have been being explained through the words being used here, but I kind of think of it like a running gag, like, God likes that, right? Let's just bring up the instruments every time we talk about worship. Now, We will also note that King Nebuchadnezzar has a thing for fire. Apparently, it's not the only incident in the Bible where he's threatened people. Here, here's a great command. And if you don't do it, you're going to die in fire. So in Jeremiah, he was a prophet, and he wrote a letter to to the Israelites who were in Babylon as captives. He was trying to encourage them. But there were these two people there in Babylon who were spreading lies. And we read here in Jeremiah that at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, God is saying that he will put these lying prophecies to death. And if you notice, it says, because of them, all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon will use this curse. May the Lord treat you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned in the fire. So this was another piece of evidence that someone else who went against the king was threatened with fire, with death. So, the king has made this command. He has said, I've set up a statue. Everyone, no matter where you're from, whether you're a captive, whether you are native Babylonian, everyone needs to worship this statue, this idol. Let's read verses 8 and 12. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Sometimes words have more power in their original language. And here it says that the administration was looking around, realizing that three guys weren't worshiping. And they decide to denounce them. What does that mean exactly? Apparently, it's a Hebrew idiom that means eat the pieces of. It's a different visual, isn't it? 
There was something malicious about this tattletelling. So this is something trying to rip apart their integrity, their reputation. Basically, these other people were trying to get ahead. They didn't want to see these Jewish young men succeed. Now, look also at the names. Because we talked about, when you have heard this story, and you see there in your scripture, it says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, one of the things that the Babylonians did was change the names of young people. So Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or, if you've watched VeggieTales, Rakshak and Benny. They did this in order to lift up the Babylonian gods so that even by saying their very names, you would be honoring this false god. Yet it's amazing to see that these young men would never bow to any other god but Yahweh. And finally, this is a big deal because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were in the king's administration. They were just common people. Back when Daniel had interpreted the king's dream, the king rewarded him for his efforts. He said, I'm going to set you up as part of my rule. And then Daniel says, hey, can my three friends come too? So King Nebuchadnezzar had chosen it was his opinion that these young men were fit to serve in his kingdom. So the fact that three of them were not bowing down to worship, that was saying something denouncing the king's pride. And it said something about his reputation. So we can then notice that his reaction is going to be stronger. Now, we're going to look at verses 13 through 27. You can read them in full another time. There's too much. Let me sum up. The king confronts Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he says, you haven't been worshiping. I'm going to give you one more chance. So we're going to play the music again, and this time you're going to bow down. And the guys are like, hey, hey, I'm going to stop you right here. I'm going to let you finish. But right now we're just going to say we're not going to worship, no matter if you do it a million times. The king says, fine, into the fire. He's so mad. Again, it's probably his pride. Man, these guys I appointed are standing up to me. Make the fire hotter, he says. Logical? I don't know. Fire's fire. No matter how hot, it's going to hurt, right? Kind of dumb because his own people died from making it hotter. Then the young captives are tied up and thrown in. But when the king goes to look, as you might have seen in the story, four people were inside. There was an angel there representing God's presence to comfort, to save these three young men who stood up for God. Now, I do have to point out verse 27. kind of makes me laugh. I love the little ways that God works. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. The robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. This is my kind of miracle. I have the most sensitive nose in the world. Apparently it comes from my mother, and she's here today, so I'll blame her. But I can smell things all the time. And Steve's like, are you a drug dog in another life? Like, you seriously need to use this skill for good. But things annoy me. Like, I can smell something. What's wrong? And if I'm around a campfire, I love that. Love hanging out. It's a great time. But as soon as I walk away, I'm like, it's all over my hair, and it's on my clothes, and I throw everything in the laundry immediately. So I love the fact that these guys didn't even smell like fire. Okay, that's my own amusement, so you can enjoy. Okay, the other thing I wanted to note was that while the king used fire for punishment, God used it to show his power. 
and he used it to show the faith of his followers. And it's not the only time that he brings up fire as demonstrating faith. In Isaiah 48.10, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Where some would use fire for bad, God intends it to make us stronger. Let's see how this ends. Sue, can you read verses 28 through 30 for us? Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Okay, I wanted to note three things about these last verses. First, King Nebuchadnezzar praised God. And that's kind of what you hear about when you're a kid and you're like, yay, they bowed down and... They didn't bow down, and the king was like, praise God. But if you really read it, he's like, okay, no one talks smack about this God, or else I'm going to cut you to pieces and burn your house down. This is, this is what he does, even when he praises. He threatens people. But if you look, is there really a change of heart? He didn't, doesn't say, don't worship the idol I made. Instead, worship Yahweh God. No, he's just like, well, you're probably still going to need to be worshiping this God. He probably continued to force that command. But also, just don't be mean to this God in the meantime. He had a collection of gods on his list, and he just added our God to that list. And the third thing I wanted to note was that look at the promotion that these guys got. Every time, if we've noticed in these first chapters of Daniel, every time these young men break a law, somehow they keep getting promoted in the group of people who are supposed to enforce Babylonian law. So I love that God just continues to work and to move. And it's interesting because they were supposed to enforce certain aspects of Babylonian law. And we can see that they probably had to enforce some others in this corrupt government. And they worked there, but they did draw the line, right? That's motivating. Hearing this biblical account should give us, give us encouragement and hope and and excited and pumped up. Kind of the way I felt when I came out of Black Panther last weekend. You know, you just, you see a superhero movie, you read about these accounts in the Bible, and we're like, yeah, we can do that, right? But what does that look like? What does that look like to us today? Um, let's go back, sorry. <laughs> I wanted to point out, there's a section of verses, two of them that get overlooked sometimes, as a part of this powerful story. And it's, when I heard it, preached years ago, it stuck in my mind, in my heart, the most powerful part of this story. Verses 17 and 18. When the king gave these young men one more chance to bow down, and they said no, this is what they said along with it. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if he does not, you know, there's a power in that statement. They didn't know the ending. 
They faced certain death, and even though we knew the end of the story as we began reading today, they didn't. They were fully trusting. They had complete faith that God could deliver them from the fire, but they had no guarantee. They were willing to take a step of faith, even if God chose not to intervene. That's faith. It's the kind of faith we're supposed to have. You know, Jesus even demonstrated this faith in his full humanity. He knew he was going to be tortured, crucified. It was going to be painful. And yet the night before he was arrested, he prayed to God, is there any other way? I have faith that you can change this if you want to. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And God could have changed the plan. He could have redeemed humanity in some other way. And I wonder what he responded. Did the Father say anything at all? And Jesus went to the cross. God saved Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from death, from the fire. But he didn't step in and stop Jesus from dying. He did raise him from the dead. But sometimes God says yes to our prayers. Sometimes he's silent. And I think we've all experienced both. I mean, we see the world from our limited perspective like, yes, if you just fix this, God, that's what we want. God, when we look in the world, we want you to deliver us. God, deliver us from shattered dreams and broken promises. Deliver us from war and genocide and governments that oppress. Deliver us from racism and classism and sexism. Deliver us from abuse and divorce and school shootings. Deliver us from car accidents and mental illness and cancer. We want God to deliver us. And so we go to him and we hand him our messes. Or maybe the messes were dumped on us and it's nothing we've chosen. We know that bad things are in this world because of sin. So why does God intervene sometimes and why? Sometimes he does not. How do we react? Our faith is in the one who delivers us, but who sometimes lets things play out. Our faith is in the God who sees five steps down the road, and he knows, even if we never see it, the good he can bring, even from the bad. Our faith is the one who's, who's got to be heartbroken, right? When things don't turn out in our lives, when he sees our pain. I don't know if you've ever had to make a big decision, and you can see the bigger picture, and you know maybe at a work or a family situation, you know the right thing that you have to do, but you know it's going to hurt somebody. It's going to be painful, your choice. Yet you make it anyway, even if the person's mad or upset. And I have to feel like that that burden that we feel as humans making such decisions, I have to feel like God feels some of that, right? Don't you think in all the evidence of the Bible, this loving God, do you think it hurts when he has to stay silent? I'd like to feel that that happens. I'd like to be comforted in the fact that when he does not act, that it is not easy. But even if he does not, 
What fire are you facing? Is it a broken dream? Is it a temptation? Are you facing change that you don't want to face? Are you grieving or watching loved ones suffer and you can't fix it? If we look at the unjust and unkind things in this world, sometimes that's our fire because we start to lose hope. Yet God asks us to have faith. And my hope for you is that you will approach God no matter what fire you are facing, that you will approach him with the confidence that he can deliver you. He is able, and I pray that you will ask him for that. But even if he does not, I hope you have the faith to trust him anyway. God knows we're going through fires. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, though now for a little while you may have to had to suffer grief, and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God knows we're going to face fires. But like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, He's going to be standing right with us. Let's pray. God, it's, it's hard sometimes, many times, to trust in you. We don't know why you act the way you do and why things happen in this world. But we trust that you are wiser than us and greater than us and can see beyond our limited perspective. Help us in times where we doubt, in times where we want to make choices that fit ourselves. Help us to trust in you, to have faith, to step forward. Lord, use us this week to bring glory and honor through our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.